This is Tales of the Revolution with Jason Vreeke. We share stories to promote and glorify the real Jesus of Nazareth. This episode is entitled, The Hands Were Given. Find out more at talesoftherevolution.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and anywhere you find podcasts. By conducting a quick search on the term North Korea on assistnews.net, you'll find the following headlines. North Korea sentences Canadian pastor to life in jail. North Korea announces hydrogen bomb test. And finally, this is a long one, stay with me. For the 14th straight year, North Korea is still the most difficult place to be a Christian, according to Open Doors List. This nation has been called the darkest place on earth by some. Is the sun obstructed in this area? No, it's the Son of God who is prevented and blocked. When I was a youth pastor for a Korean church, my students made it clear to me that they were South Korean. No, I'm not of Korean descent. I was simply asked to consider the position. And so I did, and I took it. My students were mostly middle school and high school aged. On Sunday mornings, I usually taught verse by verse from the Bible. Until one day, early on in my time as youth pastor, the topic of discussion revolved around a new movie that concerned the exorcism of a young girl. They asked me, Jason, is it real? I told them I didn't know about the particular case in that movie, but that I myself had once been invited to participate in an actual exorcism. You should have seen the wide eyes and heard the gasps in that room. As I began to explain the events surrounding my invitation to exorcism, you could hear a pin drop. In this story, I have altered some names and details to protect those involved. I had an acquaintance, an older brother in the Lord. We'll call him Amitri. Amitri was involved at first in prison ministries, but then he moved on to visiting state hospitals. He asked me one day if I would accompany him to one of these state hospitals. He continued to explain that a state hospital was not simply a healthcare facility run by the state. It was no longer politically correct to call them lunatic asylums or insane asylums. So instead, they are referred to as state hospitals. Then, he leaned in a bit closer and looked around. It was just after a midweek evening Bible study at our church. And he said, You know, the reason I need your help is because there's somebody in there who I know is possessed. She needs an exorcism, and I can't do it alone. I didn't know what to say, I told my class. Wide eyes turned wider and faces turned pale. Did you do it? Asked one of my students. So I told them. I didn't end up going with him. 
I followed up with him one time, but he said he would get back to me and he never did. In fact, he began attending the church less and less, and we just lost contact. Some relief came over the group, until I told them of my next encounter. Okay, so one time, I was working at the prayer line at the church. It was a requirement of my curriculum in the school of ministry. The pastor on duty was about to leave to perform a wedding when a young man burst into the front door. Very distraught, he said, in a very thick Eastern European accent, I need help! What's wrong? asked the pastor. Demon possession! The color drained out of the face of this pastor, all dressed up in a suit and tie, ready to perform a wedding. He turned his head and looked at me with eyes as big as saucers and blurted out, I gotta go. And with that, he left. The church secretary, the only other person in the office, then asked in tones just above whisper, Are you going to talk to him? Yeah, I'll talk to him. Somehow I rose from my chair and began walking toward this young man. Don't worry, Jason. You got this. Hey, God's got this. Besides, you're in school of ministry. You're in second year. You've been through spiritual formation. You got this. In my conversation with this guy, I realized that he thought he was demon-possessed. Because even though he had recently received Christ as Savior, he couldn't kick his cigarette habit. Somebody told him he was possessed by a demon. The demon of nicotine. I explained to him about how a Christian could not be possessed by a demon. And in our conversation, I determined that he did truly have faith in Christ and did have a conversion experience, but he simply was in need of some kind of help with smoking cessation. Needless to say, after sharing those couple of stories with my students, I had immediate credibility. They were extremely receptive with my exhortations about staying away from Ouija boards and other tools of the occult. I actually did a pretty lengthy series on the occult and the paranormal with them, but that's a whole nother story for a whole different episode. Being the youth pastor and the only non-Korean at the Korean church was a unique experience. Everybody I served with was wonderful. Some of the teenage students I had were brilliant. I remember I taught one 10-year-old boy the entire book of Nehemiah, verse by verse, one-on-one. -on -one. And then I also taught him the 70 weeks prophecy found in Daniel chapter 9. Then, to show me that he understood it, he taught it back to me. When the time came for me to move on to a different opportunity at a different church, my class was disappointed. But I knew I had to listen to the Lord and move on to where he told me to go. Our guest storyteller is Benjamin Wolliver. He comes from a musical family and is the cellist for the group formed by the family called the Annie Moses Band. Let's turn it over to Benjamin so he can tell us his story in his own words about a trip he took to North Korea.
I'm one of seven children. We uh, were raised in a musical family and studied at high-level conservatories pursuing classical music. And then in 2002, created a group called the Annie Moses Band, comprised of my siblings and myself. We do a style of folk classical music, so original songs and then inventive arrangements of familiar songs. We recently released a couple of records through Warner Classics, one that's an Americana project called American Rhapsody that was top of the classical crossover chart and then did a PBS special that was released in March called The Art of the Love Song. And so we really love artful music of a folk classical persuasion. So we have a lot of fun. I play cello. My siblings play, respectively, violin, viola, do a lot of fiddle, and then B3, harp, mandolin, electric guitar. We, we cross the gamut. We have a lot of fun together performing music. So we were performing at a church in 2008 uh, down in Florida, and the gentleman approached us after the concert and said, would you like to perform in North Korea? Of course, you don't hear that question <laughs> every day of the week, so we were taken aback. But that started a conversation that progressed over the following months where we spoke with a humanitarian organization that specifically works with the North Korean government to bring medical supplies, food, just humanitarian needs to those people. And they approached the North Korean government and we traveled there with casting crowns and with uh, members of the NGO that invited us. And so in 2009, around Easter, kind of ironic timing, we thought, with the significance there. Uh, we traveled to really what is one of the darker places on planet Earth, trying to be a light there and to impact people in a way that would further the kingdom. So, yeah, it was, it was really a life-changing experience. We were there five days, went to Beijing, China, en route, then flew a old Russian-style plane that was maybe 40 years old <laughs> and barely holding together. It was, it was quite an adventurous flight over to Pyongyang, the capital of North Korea. Landed and just were plunged into this very different world where it's very isolated. A lot of the people we encountered did not know things that we would consider to be pretty basic information. Um, for instance, we were asked right off the bat, what is the internet? And then right after that, we were told that Pyongyang would be, in a couple of years, the foremost city in the world. <laughs> wow. So there was a strange combination of just profound ignorance, but also a lot of, I guess, bravado and propaganda that was sent our way. There's an apocalyptic feeling to North Korea in the sense the streets are empty of traffic. Uh, there's no commerce, so there's literally no stores, no restaurants, no just no commerce of any kind. So pretty much all the buildings that you see are either government buildings or tenement housing or something of that nature. It's very gray. They don't have enough electricity for traffic lights, so um, women in uniform direct traffic with flags. People walk everywhere, so there's just giant crowds of people in the city who will walk everywhere from place to place. A lot of the machinery didn't work at the airport, for instance. So, um, for instance, there was a conveyor belt that was supposed to lead to another conveyor belt for luggage, but one of them didn't work. So as the luggage came down, two people just moved the luggage to another conveyor belt by hand. So there's a lot of just really inefficiency, which is ironic because communism you know, claims to be more efficient than capitalism, but uh, obviously not true. 
So there's a lot of oddities in that respect. So I would just say for, for someone who's never been to a communist country, all of the hustle and bustle of Western life is completely absent from a place like Pyongyang. But at the same time, we also got to know some of the people there and learn their stories. We, uh, we had the opportunity to be paired with a group of young students who were training to be part of the diplomatic corps for North Korea. And so they knew English, and I think the purpose for them was to better their English with us. But for us, it was an opportunity because they were not really professional minders. I think their task was to be something of minders for us, but they uh, they weren't adults. They were, as I said, young students. So we were able to have some frank conversations about the differences between our two countries and, um, and even topics of faith and spirituality that I thought were very productive. So... Did you mention the word minder? A minder is basically someone who just monitors you, who reports your activities, presumably to help you, but really to watch. They had minders going around. Were they around you the whole time you were there? Yeah, pretty much, except for when you're in your hotel room. But even there, you were monitored through wiretaps or other things. What were their thoughts on spirituality? It was intriguing. I remember there was one conversation that I had with a particular student who I'll call Chang. Chang spoke English a little bit better than some of the other students did. And so I engaged him in several conversations. I was actually uh, pursuing English studies during our time in North Korea for a bachelor's. And so I was studying Shakespeare's The Tempest, which is a play that really centers around themes of forgiveness and revenge versus forgiveness, you know, the choice between the two. And uh, and he came up and asked me what I was reading, and I gave him some of the plot basics, and he began to dive a little bit deeper into those themes, and we discussed the long memory of the East, and North Korea in particular, but the short memory of the West. And it's true, it's kind of a cultural oddity that we, here in America, we don't remember things very well. We you know, we forget something that happened 10 years ago pretty quickly. And the North Koreans, they still have massive murals and propaganda celebrating their driving out of the Japanese back in the 1940s. And so that conflict is something that is just pervasive. And the vision of America as a foe, the world as just filled with hostile enemies from their perspective. And I remember at one moment I said, you know, while the short memory of the West can lead to some problems for us sometimes, really, it's a much better way to live, to forgive people and to move on. And Cheng agreed with us. He said, you know, I think you're right. I think that becoming allies and forgiving people is a much better way to live. So there was that moment that I thought was positive. Toward the end of our time, the five days, I felt a burden to witness to Cheng and to some of the other people there. And just because it kind of hit me one night that here we were almost by a miracle in this place that very few people ever get to visit. You could count on one hand the people who get to visit North Korea. And so I took the opportunity to go down and speak with Chang and I, I gave him a gift as a parting gesture. And I told him that my only requirement for him to take the gift was for him to say a prayer for seven days. And the prayer was, God, if you exist, reveal yourself to me. And he really was taken aback by that request. And he said, 
well, really, you should know something. And he pointed to this image that he wore as a button on his chest of Kim Il-sung, the founder of North Korea, the initial communist guerrilla who founded the nation. He said, you should know something. We really worship Kim Il-sung as our god. And he said, but I want to know why you worship this other god. You know, what makes him so inspiring to you? And I said, well, do you know anything about DNA, Shane? And he said that he did. And I explained that, you know, as you know, Jason, DNA is made up of four chemical letters. And those letters form words. Those words form sentences. And those sentences form paragraphs. And if you were to take a DNA strand out of a human being, it would be miles of information. And if even a few words are misspelled, so to speak, if there's errors in our DNA sequence, we would die very quickly. We're just incredibly complex creations, human beings are, and, and not just human beings, but animal life and other things. And so I said, you know, that tells me, Chang, that there had to be a being that created life, that spelled out those letters. And the being that could do that would be the source of life itself. And that would mean that he would be eternal because he would always be able to maintain his own existence. So that gives you some idea of the God I worship. And uh, he motioned for us to sit down because I could tell he was interested in the conversation. And I continued and said, you know, Jesus came and he claimed to be the God that created life. And he proved that because when they killed him, he brought himself back from death. And furthermore, there's no other leader on planet Earth who doesn't have a grave. You know, he, uh, Jesus, you can go to his grave today and it is empty, but you can go and you can see Kim Il-sung's grave and it is there. He's there in that grave. And I ended with a final thought, which was simply that Christ, and I don't know if you remember in the Gospel, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And I said, Chang, you know, Jesus dies for every nation. He's not just the father of one nation, like Kim Il-sung is. He's the father of every nation. And that was really all I was able to share with Chang that night. But it really was an honor to have that opportunity. And I hope that it planted a seed that will continue to germinate by the work of the Holy Spirit, because it really is very life-changing to see a country where so many are truly cut off from almost any flow of information that would be transformative, that would be the gospel. And it makes you really, really grateful for what we have here in America, just the power of the, the information that we have and the freedoms that we have. And I think when we're talking now, it makes you grateful for just the fact that Jesus came and that he gave us the ability to share those truths with others. And hopefully, uh, what we did in North Korea will make some difference there. Now, did Shane give you any kind of reaction when you had told him those things about Jesus? Well, he promised me that he would pray the prayer that I asked him to pray. I left the next day, so I don't know if that actually took place. But I'm hopeful. Chang was a very humble person. He was very open to new ideas and new thoughts and was very gentlemanly. And, and I liked him a lot. I'm hopeful that, that what we conversed about had an impact on him. Do you remember, did you have any kind of fear at all? I mean, it's it's a dangerous place, especially to share Christian ideas. What were the kind of, what were the feelings going through your mind as you were beginning to share with them? 
Yeah, fear was part of it. It was funny. The second day we were there, we heard that North Korea had pulled out of all of its UN agreements. The guy who was leading our group, he took us aside and said, listen, you need to know something. North Korea has now officially canceled every agreement it ever has done through the UN. And so we uh, <laughs> we looked in our wallets, made sure we had those embassy phone numbers <laughs> ready. And so, yeah, there was there was some fear. But really... To be honest with you, I think the longer I was there, the more I just felt I just felt the resistance building in me because there's such a it's such coerce it's very coercive the system there and the peer pressure just constant pressure from all sides to conform to watch what you say um, you're under surveillance all the time even in your hotel room when you think you're alone nothing you have is not itemized and so I think me sharing with Chang that night was as much a desire for me to make a statement to those people as much as it was to reach out to Chang. I think both things were going on because it's just so evil to oppress people the way that government does. And it's so clearly wicked. Anyone who has even the most basic moral conscience or formation, I think, could see that. And so, yeah, there was some fear. And then while we were talking, you know, I was grateful because uh, my brother was there and he he tried to cover for me because he saw what I was doing. And he tried to distract people by playing ping pong, doing other games and things in the area. But I'm sure that Chang was debriefed immediately after our conversation, from what I understand. And so, yes, the minders were there all the time. But, you know, the, the truth is, is that however powerful governments think they are, the power of the story of God is more powerful. Truth is more powerful. And in fact, it's so powerful that that's the reason why there's so much fear on their part. There's a lot of fear in North Korea, not just of the government, but in the government. The government is afraid. They're so afraid of something that I might say that they watch me all the time when I was there, you know, and they watch everyone because they're that afraid of someone saying something that might be true. And and that just shows you how fragile that humanist system really is. And it should be, I think, hopeful for us who know the truth to not be afraid to speak up. That's great encouragement. Casting Crowns um, was with us on the trip. It was uh, it was the full group, so um, Mark Hall and his family and then um, the other performers of the group. And, um, and, uh, and it was really special, actually, to share that experience with them. We got to spend some time visiting and going to different places together. Um, they're just wonderful people and definitely have a heart for witness and for going to unreached places. One of the things that was special for us as musicians was they took us to some of their music schools and saw some really incredible musicians. Of course, they're not free, so they're essentially forced to study and to pursue their craft. But, but in seeing that, you understand not just the costs of the system, but you also see the people there and begin to understand what their lives are like. I'm a cellist, and so we went into one room, and this uh, beautiful North Korean girl came out and played this really haunting melody on cello and just played it beautifully. It just was an incredible player. And for me, that was a really moving experience because as a cellist, I knew what she had sacrifice to become that good, you know, how, how much work that reflected. But also I knew that she would never leave that country. She would never, what she had worked to achieve and to hone would never be seen. And the analogy that came to my mind was like a bird in a cage. 
you know, like a songbird that's caged. Um, and that's really tragic that so many lives in North Korea are kept from reaching their full potential through coercion. So that, that was something that, again, I, I took back with me as a memory that continues to influence how I think and, and what I do in trying to make people aware of just how wonderful freedom is, uh, how wonderful it is to have opportunities to develop your craft and to take it to other places and have the liberty to do that. Now, did you guys perform while you were there? I don't. Um, we performed twice, if I remember correctly. We, we performed once in a in a hall, and then they had a uh, full crowd, all I think dignitaries that came, or sort of the elite of North Korean life. We also um, learned a North Korean song that was from a movie that they had produced. The government had produced a film that was kind of like the North Korean Titanic. Um, <laughs> And so uh, there was a song that was associated with that, the, almost the My Heart Will Go On and On of North Korea, like the Celine Dion song. And uh, so we learned a version of that, and uh, and they loved it so much that they actually took us to a studio that was fascinating because it was circa 1960s studio technology. Mint condition had never been changed or updated since the country became communist. And so it was like going back to Abbey Road, circa the Beatles, God, our sound engineer, he was just fascinated with the vintage gear because it was truly a, a like a time machine. But um, so, so there were some pretty intriguing things there just by nature of the country and its history that we got to see. Well, that's great. That's great. Like a time machine. I could see the, uh, yeah. the Beatles uh, walking across the street. <laughs> yeah. Benjamin Wolliver, thank you so much. Find out more about him and the Annie Moses Band at their website, AnnieMosesBand.com. Take a look at their tour dates and check out a couple of their latest musical offerings, American Rhapsody and The Art of the Love Song. Benjamin and others in his family are also involved with the Fine Arts Summer Academy. Need to hone your talents in the fine arts? Check out FineArtsSummerAcademy.com. I've had the, I don't know if privilege is the right word or not, but I've had the experience of working in retail for most of my life. Working for nearly two decades in this service-oriented industry has given me a unique, if not cynical, view of humanity. People act, as customers, how they would not act in any other situation. It is as though they have the notion, you're getting my money, Maybe. Therefore, you have to put up with me, warts and all. And for the most part, you had to. If you've never worked in retail, you may never know the experience of working with an average customer who, in one breath, could complain of quality, price, and insult you, and your mother for that matter too. Not an exaggeration. As a retail employee, you must accept customers, flaws and all because you are being paid. Behind the scenes, we as retail employees are no different from the customers who plague us. I've heard just as many insults hurled at customers, albeit behind closed doors or in hushed tones. I formed early on in my retail days a view of humanity that is not favorable. 
I saw the ugliness of customers, employees, and of myself. Yep, in retail you got the good, the bad, and the ugly, but mostly the bad and the ugly. With that being said, I don't know why I was surprised when I found, as a young retail manager at a company by which I am no longer employed, that some of my employees were conspiring to get me fired, or at least demoted. I don't know why I was surprised when the district, human resources, and loss prevention managers came to my store and conducted interviews with all the employees to see if the accusations concerning me were true. It was determined by the investigation that the accusations were not true. But the fact remained that I did not have my team on board. It was true. I could not control them. So after a year of trying, despite growing sales and having high customer ratings and pouring myself into the position, probably to a fault, I stepped down as the store manager. When I came to this point, it hurt me. Not just my pride, but also financially. In that moment, you think of all the money you're losing and how it will negatively affect your family. I had a pregnant wife and a son to support. I remember that right around that time I was being investigated by the company, under extreme stress and confusion, I went to a concert featuring the Annie Moses Band. And it was just what I needed. Through this band, their words and their music, particularly in the performance of a song called Beyond the River, the Lord reached down to me and met me right where I was and ministered to my hurting heart and assured me he was with me and he was for me. I went home that night uncertain about the future, but certain about God who holds our very times in his hands. This is one of the reasons I was so excited about my guest storyteller Benjamin Wolliver of the Annie Moses Band. And you know what? The future is still uncertain, but God is not. He is with us and he is for us. If you'll only place your faith in him. Well, it's about that time, the end of the show. But don't fret, my dear friend. There are tons more stories at talesoftherevolution.com. Subscribe to the podcast by searching for Tales of the Revolution with Jason Vreeke on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, or anywhere you get podcasts. Also, subscribe by email. Just click Join the Revolution on the top menu at talesoftherevolution.com. Punch in your email and hit submit. Also, follow us on social media, facebook.com slash talesoftherevolution, on Twitter, at Jason Vreeke, and on Instagram, at realjasonvreeke, spelled V-R-E-E-K-E. You've just heard episode 10 of Tales of the Revolution with Jason Vreeke, entitled, The Hands Were Given. Until next time, 
introduce somebody to Jesus of Nazareth as you live the revolution.